It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle belling And everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year It's the happiest Yeah, let's cut it. Andy Williams lied to us. The most wonderful time of the year is often the most depressing time of the year. Parties for hosting can be a stress. Marshmallows for roasting can be a mess. Caroling out in the snow can cause duress. It is not the most wonderful time of the year. It's not the happiest season of all for all people everywhere. It's not for me. My eagles are six and seven. The new cat is messing with ornaments on the tree. I hate eggnog. And I have to drive ten hours on Christmas Eve to spend time with my mother-in-law and sister-in-law. Be of good cheer, my foot. (laughs) Some of you are thinking, I am sad. I am lonely. I am sick. I am depressed. I am exhausted. The Grinch of despair has stolen my hope. The Grinch of anxiety has stolen my peace. The Grinch of depression has stolen my joy. Bah humbug. (laughs) I say bah, you say humbug. Ready? Bah. Bah. Maybe we should change Andy Williams' song from... It's the most wonderful time of the year. To the, it's the most depressing time of the year. Some of you are thinking what a Scrooge Pastor Lenny is, but there's, there's evidence for this. USA Today uh, had an article last December that makes my point. article reads as follows. The holiday blues, feelings of loneliness, loss, or isolation that psychologists Uh, say can heighten during the holidays affect people with or without mental health disorders. It can be brought on by grief or illness, spurred by the loss of a job or the end of a relationship, and compounded by the stress and pressure of the holidays. The shepherds in the time of Jesus had lots of reasons to be depressed. First of all, they spent almost all of their time with sheep. <laughs> That's depressing. Uh, they were homeless, practically. I mean, they, they, they uh, watched over their flocks day and night. Uh, they didn't have a house. Uh, That's depressing. They were considered inferior. Uh, religious Jews looked down their nose at the shepherds because shepherds couldn't keep up with religious ritual ceremonial hand washing. So they were considered dirty. They weren't welcome in the temple. In some corners of the ancient Near Eastern culture, uh, shepherds were considered dishonest. And they weren't even considered valid eyewitnesses to an event in the Jewish courts of law. Uh, They were lowlifes. They were lowly. Um, I mean, think about it. Like, the sheep that they watched were more valuable to people than the shepherds were. That's demoralizing. That's depressing. 
And they had a mundane, boring, depressing kind of life. I mean, think about it. They, they wake up, they lead the sheep, they feed the sheep, they protect the sheep, and then they go to sleep with one eye open to keep watch over their flock. And then they, then they wake up the next day and do the same thing all over again. I wonder if the shepherds wandered as they wandered. There's got to be something more to life than this. And we wonder the same thing, don't we? We wake up, get dressed, feed the family, get everybody out, go to work, come home, make dinner, eat dinner, clean up after dinner. If there's time, we binge watch House on Netflix, then we go to sleep, and then we wake up and we repeat it the next day. The shepherds were demoralized, depressed, isolated. But then something happened. Luke chapter 2 happened. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of, uh, of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they turned off, uh, hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Good news of great joy that will be for all all people, even lowly, low-life shepherds. The angel says to the shepherds, a Savior has been born to you. Greetings to you, shepherds. Peace to you on whom God's favor rests. God's favor rested on shepherds. God is odd. Think about it. The most significant event up to that point in the history of the world, the event that separated time between B.C. and A.C., the first to witness that event, other than barn animals, were shepherds who weren't even considered valid eyewitnesses in the courts of law. God is odd. There's more. The first evangelist, the first to preach and spread the word that the Savior has been born are shepherds. Uneducated, lowly, inferior shepherds are the first preachers of the day. 
If I was God, thank God I'm not, but if I were God, I would make the magi, the educated, the well-to-do, be the first to spread the word. Not shepherds. And this good news does cause great joy for the shepherds. I mean, it says they, they hurried off. Let us go and see. And they hurried off, kind of like skipping. They had like a pep in their step, going to Bethlehem to see if this thing was true. And then they come back to their same way of life, to the mundane life of a shepherd. Nothing changes circumstantially for them. They go back to the fields to watch the sheep, but everything has changed. They came back to shepherd, praising and glorifying God for all that they had seen and heard. Nothing's changed, but everything's changed. They've got joy even in the mundane, lowly task of watching sheep. I, oh, I really want that pep in my step. <laughs> you know, I want, I want, at first I'm like, I'm feeling sorry for the shepherds, but after I read this passage, I'm kind of jealous of them, honestly. They have a pep of, of joy in their step that I want. So often I'm chasing after happiness, which is so fleeting. Success, um, accolades, accomplishments, toys. But then, but then there's joy. And there couldn't be a greater difference between happiness and joy. They're, they're different. They seem like they're similar, but they're not. I mean, happiness is dependent upon circumstances, not dependent on God. Joy is dependent on God, not dependent on circumstances. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is lasting. The difference between happiness and joy can be compared to the difference between a tender 20-ounce sirloin and a rubbery McDonald's hamburger magnified by a billion. That's the difference. Joy is sitting down and feeling as if there's nothing else more that you need. Contentment. The Greek word for joy is kara. Maybe one of you or two of you in this room is named kara. That means joy. And it's not based on circumstantial reality. It's based upon spiritual reality. It's a, it's a gladness of heart that transcends circumstances. It's, kara is, is uh, what accompanies union with Christ through faith. That's kara. Gladness of heart. Now, when you look around in the church, or any church, the church, capital C, maybe not Lakeview, but when you look around at the church, are we characterized by joyful gladness of heart? Or do we look like we just had a handful of extreme sour patch kids? I know Christians often get characterized as being stiff and joyless and rigid and austere and serious and lacking in freedom. But I think sometimes that caricature is actually accurate. Jesus wept, but Jesus also laughed. How do I know? Because he had a lot of reason to smile. 
He knew he was loved by the Father. That'll bring a smile to someone's face. He knew he was serving the purposes of the Father. That'll bring a smile to somebody's face. He knew he was giving himself joyfully to the world. That'll bring a smile. To be human is to not only weep, but to laugh. Sometimes within 60 seconds of each other. The psalmist put it this way, weeping may remain for a night, but joy, joy comes in the morning. So how in the world do we get to experience the kind of joy that annihilates depression and makes life worth living? Well, the shepherds show us how. The shepherds show us how to have joy. Here's how joy comes. If you seek Christ, you will see Christ. And if you see Christ, you will share Christ. Joy, joy, joy. Want joy? First, seek Christ. Look at verse 15. Luke 2, 15. They get the news and they say, the shepherds do, let's go and see. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go and check it out. They pursue. They, they passionately pursue. They passionately seek Christ. You want joy? Seek Christ. Get as close in proximity as you can to Jesus and you will have joy. Do you remember when you were dating your spouse? I do. Uh, we were in college together, Houghton, New York. And, uh, man, I was passionately pursuing. I was seeking Amy all the time. I kept showing up at spots on campus where I knew she might show up. Um, I, would, I would give her letters all the time through campus mail. I was taking a class in English Renaissance, and we were studying the Shakespearean sonnets. And I wrote Amy multiple sonnets, Lenny Lucetti originals. They were beautiful. In fact, one of them is still framed in our house. Uh, not in the dining room or the living room, but the bathroom. I don't know what that tells you. <laughs> I would drive during the summer when we were apart on breaks. I was pastoring a church in Houghton. She was in New York, Pennsylvania. And I would drive four and a half hours each way just to be with her for maybe 20 hours. When we got engaged, uh, I wrote her another Lenny Lucetti original poem. And on a Ferris wheel at Hershey Park, I got down on one knee and asked her to be my wife. I passionately pursued her. And there was incredible joy in the seeking. Do you remember your early days with Jesus? When you passionately pursued him, you sought him. I remember those days. As a new Christian at the age of 18, coming from brokenness, I didn't just read scripture, man. I ate scripture. You should see my first Bible, New King James Version Bible. It is a wreck. I've lost half the pages. I was all over it. I would, I would, I would, like I did with Amy's letters, like I would smell, I would smell her letters to me and sniff her perfume and put it under my pillow. I would sniff and savor her words. I would meditate on her words. I would memorize some of the things she said and I would try to figure out what she was saying behind the words she was saying. Like maybe in this phrase, she's actually saying that if I propose, she'll say yes. Or maybe she's passively, aggressively mad at me about this. And I got to read between the lines. And the same thing with scripture. I would meditate on the word. 
Memorize the word. Sniff it. Savor it. Take it in. Not because I had to read it, but because I needed it. It was life for me. It's the Bible. How do we seek God and get joy? Bible and prayer. Not rocket science. Prayer. Sometimes with Amy, uh, we would communicate on the phone four or five times a day. We'd talk it out. Needless details we'd share with each other. And there were other times when we would just sit with each other. She put her head on my shoulder or we would just look into each other's eyes. I know this is kind of creepy and weird, but we would just look into each other's eyes without saying a word for about a half hour. Prayer is oftentimes with words. Sometimes it's just putting our head on the chest of our father and just contemplating him, being with him, enjoying him. The most depressed Christians I know, and I've had seasons of acute depression, almost always with the depression. And by the way, there's chemical imbalance and there's, there's a need for medicine. I get that. I'm not talking about that. And there's a need for therapy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about mild depression that comes when Christians withhold themselves from the joyful presence of Jesus Christ by neglecting the Bible, God's words to us, and prayer, our words back to him. The most joyful moments of my life, some of them, have come when I've mixed together the Bible and prayer. Oftentimes, to be honest with you, it comes in sermon prep. Sermon prep is not a rhetorical, homiletical chore. For me, it's a spiritual devotional journey. I listen for a word from the Bible, from God, for you and for me. And also I'm praying back to God words from his word for you, for me. God, help Lakeview Wesleyan Church to get it. Help them not just to hear a message about joy, but help joy become induced in them as they hear it. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers uh, who lived back in England, uh, it was said that he had like uh, tear stains on his sermon notes. And if I didn't clean my computer, you would find tear stains on my laptop. Because when I bring together the Bible, words from God, and give prayer, words to God, there is joy in that. So here's, here's my application for you. Want joy? Seek Christ. A chapter a day keeps the Grinch of depression away. Here's what I triple dog dare you to do for the next 15 days. Actually, when we start the new year, we're going to do a Bible reading plan. We're going to go through the Bible, so look forward to that. But until then, you've got 16 more days. Pick a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and start your day reading one chapter a day, just one. Not because you have to, but listen for the word of the Lord to you through it, okay? Let God speak to you and bring you joy. One chapter a day of the Bible, and then underline uh, or circle a word or phrase or sentence or verse that captures you. It's like, God, God wanted me to have that. And then that, make that your prayer focus throughout the day. So take a chapter a day in the Bible, and then from the scripture reading, offer words back to God about something he showed you in that. Can you do that for the next 15 days? Somebody say yes. You want joy? You can have happiness without Jesus. You don't have to read the Bible or pray. You can stay as far from him as you want. You can still be happy. Maybe. You want joy? 
You won't find it outside of him. Want joy? Not only seek Christ, but share Christ. Look at verse 17. After they had seen Christ, they see Christ, they see Christ, and when they see Christ, they share Christ, they spread the word concerning what they experienced. Good news of great joy does something to us and does something through us. How could we not spread the word concerning the Christ? The Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. This is good news of great joy, not just for me or you, but for all people. (laughs) When Amy and I were pregnant with our first, I wasn't pregnant, she was, but... um, And the joy of that news wrecked me. So I remember we took the pregnancy test. Kids, ask your parents how you do the test. And we were sitting in the bathroom together, and she showed me the little line, you know, the red line, or it was a blue, I don't remember, but um, she showed it to me, and we looked at each other, and we just started to cry. And we just kind of slumped down on the bathroom floor, (laughs) weeping with joy at that news. And I couldn't shut up about the fact that we were going to have a baby. I told everybody. I was in Walmart, the cashier. She's like, $74.99, sir. And I'm like, yeah, okay. We're going to have a baby. (laughs) She's like, well, okay, but you still have to pay me. All right. We would think of creative ways to tell our closest family members and friends about the good news of great joy that a child was going to be born to us. I could not contain myself. I told everybody. I was annoying. As Christians, we profess belief in a God who through his son Jesus Christ covers all of our sin and shame. We profess belief in a God who invites us into an eternal, meaningful, deep friendship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. We believe in a God through Christ who is with us in our pain and will someday eradicate our pain, who will wipe every tear from our eyes and everything will be new. We profess belief in that. How in the world, if we believe it, could we withhold it? I mean, if I had a cure for cancer or AIDS or Alzheimer's, I would shout it from the rooftop, man. I would not keep it secret. I would not hide it. I would freely share it. We have in Christ good news of great joy, a cure, a life-giving word to dispel the darkness and death One of the most selfish things I can imagine is to withhold life-giving good news of great joy from a human being who's in desperate need of it. And I confess, I'm a narcissistic, self-centered person at times. There are days, even weeks that go by, when I don't share the good news of great joy about Jesus beyond the walls of this church. And I confess that, and I'm ashamed of that. How could we not? 
if we can just get our self-centered nose out of our phone and look people in the eyes and empathically feel what they feel and think what they think, maybe, just maybe, we'll consider sharing the news, spreading the word like the shepherds did. Uh, This summer, uh, not long after I uh, took on the pastoral role here, it was in August, I was feeling some depression, not because of you, but because of me. Um, And I was just in a season of dryness. And I woke up one morning and I felt like God was saying to me, uh, look for someone with whom to share the good news of my love. Don't preach at people. I'm not saying like be guilt monger, shame monger, sort of shove God down people's throats. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying love people. And so God was whispering to me, you want to get out of your slump? Share. And so I was going about that day looking for someone with whom I can share the good news of God's love for them. So I found myself in one of these local restaurants, diners around here, having breakfast with a friend. And uh, at the end of the breakfast, before I went to go pay the bill, uh, I, I heard, not heard audibly, but I sensed God saying, go and tell your waitress, she is the apple of my eye. I love her with an everlasting, unconditional love. I value her. Just tell her. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> oh, here we go. God didn't say this, but I, I knew I had to leave, like, leave a good tip too. Okay, so don't just tell her about Jesus, leave a good tip. So I walked over to her as gently as I could, and I said, ma'am, I don't do this often. And I was thinking, yeah, not often enough, frankly. I said, I feel like God is telling me to tell you something. Is that okay if I tell you? She said, okay. (laughs) I said, God just wanted me to come over and tell you that you are the apple of his eye. That he loves you with an everlasting, unconditional love. He values and cherishes you. And as I was telling her, tears streamed down her face. And she said, you have no idea how much I needed that. I'm going through a nasty divorce. And I needed to know that someone loved me. And I said, I'll thank you for trusting me with that. I'll pray for you. And I go in there from time to time and I tell her without smothering her, I'm praying for you. And I've invited her to church and she's open to that. And She was starving for some good news. And to think I almost just looked at ESPN instead of talking to her, I would have missed it. Can I give you another triple dog dare? Would you at least once this week, I'd love to see it be every day for us, honestly, but just once this week, tomorrow, would you wake up with the pledge to, like the shepherds, spread the word? God, I will look for someone with whom to share your love. And when you prompt me, I will move. I will send an email. I will send a text. uh, I will send a gift. Or I will verbally tell someone they're loved with an everlasting love by God. Maybe put three people on your Christmas most wanted list and look for ways to share God's love with them. You don't have to be an educated theologian, a pastor, a preacher. You can be a stinking lowly shepherd and bring good news of great joy to all people. 
You want joy? Do you? Seek Christ through the Bible and prayer and you will see Him. And when you see Him, you will share Him. Joy, joy, joy. If we don't seek Christ or share Christ, what distinguishes us as a Christ follower? We're like the average atheist. (laughs) Good news of great joy. When we remember that our lives are... I brought some bread. I'm just about done here. Brought some bread. Thank you for not eating the bread. It's stale anyway. Our lives are sandwiched between two pieces of bread. I told you this. We have two Advents, Advents, two Christmases we live between. Christmas of the past is one slice of the bread. Christ has come. The Apostles' Creed. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Christmas number one. Slice of bread number one. Christmas past. And there's Christmas future. Christ will come again. Apostles' Creed. He will come to judge the living and the dead. Now, if we really believe that our lives and the present are sandwiched between these two Christmases, Christmas past, Christmas future, the Christ who has come and the Christ will come, what do you think is the proper delicacy that fits between these two pieces of bread? Is it doom? Despair? Depression? Or joy, joy, joy. Here, eat this bread. Have a, who wants bread? Here, have some bread. <laughs> so what? We sweat the small stuff and it robs us of joy. So what? So what if the pants make you look fat or frumpy? So what? So what if your 401k isn't as much as you thought it would be or should be? So what? So what if the person doesn't hold the door for you walking in the Walmart? So what? So what if you don't have uh, buns of steel or six-pack abs and you're having a bad hair day? So what? What difference does it make? Why do we sweat the small stuff? And I know we sweat the big stuff too. Cancer, addiction, Alzheimer's, depression. That's not small. But if we realize our lives are sandwiched between those two Christmases, we recognize that cancer, addiction, Alzheimer's does not get the final word. Jesus the Christ does. Jesus bats last. Joy, joy, joy. Perhaps Andy Williams was almost right. Christmas is not the happiest season of all. But for Christians whose lives are sandwiched between two advents, who seek and who share the Christ, Christmas should be the joy, joyfulest season of all. And in rebellion against the Grinch of depression, in response to God's word, we are going to stand and we're going to sing our hearts out as an act of rebellion against the Grinches of the world. 
Because we believe that where there is Jesus, there is joy. And if you believe that, and you're committed to seek Christ and share Christ, would you stand with me as we sing our hearts out? Would you remain standing for just a moment? Um, just a couple quick things as we end today. Um, if you are new with us, please make sure you take your communication cards and let us know that you are here. Um, just put a little bit of a note on there so that we can uh, reach out to you and take it back to the Welcome Center there. And uh, we would also love to minister to you and meet with you, if, uh, especially if you're a guest today, um, over in this corner uh, with our uh, Pop With Pastors time. Um, also, uh, Christmas Eve service is coming right up. It will be very, very soon. Um, and it will actually be on Christmas Eve proper. Um, so join us December 24th at 6 p.m. This is a time especially where that person that would not touch church will touch it, just just for a moment. And so please invite um, and join us here uh, at 6 p.m. for a candlelit service. Um, and also be aware, uh, year-end giving, there's a little note in your bulletins. Uh, make sure you pay attention to that. Um, we want to make sure that you guys uh, are uh, on time and prompt just for your benefit um, for uh, um, the 2019 taxes. Um, and now I get to give a benediction, okay? And I, I had one planned, and, and Lenny ruined it. And I'm so glad he ruined it. It's perfect. Um, Benediction is usually the time where we come and we, we send you out. Um, and so there's all sorts of benedictions all through Scripture, but uh, I found one when you were reading uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 15. It was a sneaky benediction, a sneaky sending out, and uh, I thought it was most appropriate. Um, as shepherds, as maybe you, you feel like a low life, maybe you feel small, maybe you feel like you don't have it, but... As soon as they heard word of this Jesus, they said, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. And so today, you are sent out with a spirit that seeks and says, let's go. You are dismissed.